Hey, Tim. Yes, hey, Derek. Guess what? What's up, man? Every single thing we talk about on this episode... Yeah? ...is gonna be spoiled. Holy shit, are you serious? I am totally serious, so listen at your own risk. Oh, I better plug my ears while we record this. <laughs> this is Central Control Stand by... Hi, and welcome to a friendly episode of uh, Transmissions from the Forbidden Planet. My name is Tim. Yeah, I'm Derek. Hey. This is going to be a rip-roaring episode, because we're back. Yeah, season two opener here. Welcome back, you folks. We've missed you. Yeah, we have a special discount price on canned peas on aisle six this month. <laughs> <laughs> People still eat peas? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's special um, for all of you yeah. doomsday preppers out there, those canned peas, you want to get those right now. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Doomsday preppers. I'm all, I'm all about the frozen stuff. Cause yeah. Even if you don't eat them, you can use them if you get a black eye. or Yeah, right. Yeah. Or black. Twist or, your you ankle. Know, you mean when your wife punches you. Oh, no, I walked into the door. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. In that scenario... Where, mm. you, where your wife is punching you and you have to... Punch. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> in in the script of Derek's life, mm. your wife would be an anti-hero. Why? Because <laughs> she's hit, punching me? Yeah, but she still makes you dinner. Oh, no, I, I cook. Oh. I do all the cooking. You haven't read the script of my life, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I haven't. I don't know. I'm just making assumptions over here. Yeah, you're trying to make allusions in a clever way to today's topic. And that, which is anti-heroes, yeah. Anti-heroes. Anti or anti. Depends on what yeah. part of the Mason-Dixon line you're on. <laughs> <laughs> but anywho. Yeah. So, it, you, the, you know, they're very intriguing. We love to love them. And mm. you're kind of not supposed to totally do, but what is it, you know? But what is the definition of an anti-hero anyway, Derek? Uh, the definition by what you can find on the interweb... Yeah. Is that an anti-hero and or anti-heroine, mm-hmm. not the drug, mm. <laughs> is a main character in a story who lacks uh, conventional heroic qualities and attributes, such as idealism, courage, and morality. Right. Okay. Yeah. It seems like there's more words there. Although anti-heroes <laughs> may sometimes perform actions that are morally correct, yes. it is not always for the right reasons, often acting primarily out of self-interest or in a way that defy conventional ethical codes. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's a pretty generic term for it. But as we watch movies and mull the idea of what an anti-hero is to us over in our heads, I think it's a pretty broad spectrum, right? 
Yeah, especially when you happen to Google this particular term, <laughs> yeah. anti-hero. There's right. a lot of different ways people... Interpret it. Yeah, interpret it. It's it's weird, and certain characters are brought up that I would have had no idea yeah. why they would be... But, I mean, that's people's, as you said, interpretations of what yeah. they find as an anti-hero. So it's a broad spectrum. Right, right. Yeah, because you got all the way from, like, anti-hero Light, who is, like, um, kind of reluctant be a part of the gang right all the way to the person who's basically like a punisher where he's murdering the shit out of people right and he's still uh, got a moral code and you know and there's also the anti-heroes who are just anti-hero anything and they will avoid doing anything heroic you and i in life are reluctant heroes (laughs) (laughs) yeah we could be heroes that's a great song (laughs) just for one day just for one day Obviously, anti-heroes start somewhere, and most of the time, if you trace anything back, it's going to go to literature, yeah. the most original, truest form of fiction. Right. So who do we got, Tim? You read some fucking notes of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let you go along and do this. Uh, so we have the, the Odyssey of, uh, with uh, what do you call it, by Homer. And uh, so Odysseus, I guess, would be uh, one of the earlier examples of uh, literary uh, anti-hero, right? Right, right, exactly. And I mean, you, you take that form and Odyssey has been remade in several interpretations through mm-hmm. these many years since 1614. Yeah. Probably the most newest interpretation of it in a weird way would be the Coen brothers' uh, O Brother. Yes. Right. Well, who, is, who would be Odysseus in that one? Well, George Clooney's character would definitely be okay. the Odessa. He's the main central character, as Odessa was, who gets caught up in these adventures. And he's not really doing anything out of kindness to anyone in the movie. Yeah. He's basically doing everything out of... Self-interest. Something that'll ben- yeah, benefit him right. to get to his end of his journey. Right, right, yeah. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. (laughs) (laughs) Moving forward a few centuries, or a couple hundred years to the layman's. Mm, Yes. In 1883, we have uh, Robin Hood by uh, Howard Pyle. Right. Prince of Thieves. And this is another one I think that kind of treads that line that I was talking about of anti heroes. Yeah. He's, he's named a lot, but he does rob from the rich and give to the poor, and he's right. not doing it out of self growth of right. any kind. You know, he's yeah. doing it because he truly wants to help the poor and everything. So, yeah, he's an anti hero, as in he's breaking laws to to help the poor. But still, there, there's a weird line there. Okay, but here's where it does in like real life so-called Robin Hoods like the famous bank robber John Dillinger who would rob from the banks uh, during the times of the Great Depression and he you know he would give some of his money away to help bolster this Robin Hood mentality mm. uh, and and it worked because society was so pissed off at the banks for causing the depression in the first place that he becomes kind of like this um, folk hero in a way right. even though he's like shooting and killing people Right. So that's like a real life example where it, it falls apart because he doesn't really have a redeeming quality. Right. But it, it's the folklore put onto him and ha- created by him using the Robin Hood mythology to kind of help his self image through these 
bank robbings. Yeah. And and you also got to imagine that there's storytellers out there, be it in the newspapers right. or in yeah. little short stories, that are going to take yes. that and say, hey, this is my unique spin on the Robin Hood tale. Right. And this will make me known, kind right. of doing yeah. it out of their own yeah. self-worth. You yeah. know what I mean? That's messed up, man. So then the very next year after that, you got Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. And that's he's also looked at because he's done, doing a lot of ornery things. Uh, another character that uh, I think kind of treads the line. He's a kid, and he gets you know into rambunctious little adventures and stuff. So it's definitely one to mention. I see it's kind of skirting that line. Yeah. When you're slapped, you'll take it and like it. And then, uh, like uh, I say, a really early. I mean, he's from from a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Sam Spade of the Maltese Falcon. The book was 1930. So in 1935, Humphrey Bogart makes that character famous uh, right. uh, in the movie, and uh, he's kind of like one of the early, not so much gangstery one uh, that right. we'd seen from like uh, Edward G. Robinson or or uh, what's his name, James Cagney. But Sam Spade kind of has this uh, impressionable mark on culture and society as a antihero because he's right. he's kind of a dick, you know? Yeah. Exactly, and he he is. He's doing things out of if even if he's being paid as a private eye because he's a private eye, and this sets up a whole another sub subgenre that goes on in movies right. to become noir. a really yeah. big thing. Yeah. But he's doing things in the story that even if he's paid to avoid this one thing, I don't need this kind of information. He'll still figure it out yeah. just so he know, has all of the information. He's not being kept in the dark, even if it comes to harm him. You're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen. Thank you. But I think my mouth is too big. No, it's the right size. For me, that is. Moving along to, uh, uh, to 1953's uh, James <laughs> Bond, Ian by Ian right. Fleming. That's a confusing one for me. So who says this? Because <laughs> I feel like he's a hero. Well, so, yeah, so this is another one of those ones that uh, you, you look on the internet, James Bond name comes up a lot as an anti-hero. And I would imagine, even though he has a license to kill and he's doing all of this stuff, sent out on missions by a, a certain thing, uh, he definitely does go off mission sometimes, goes a little rogue, and maybe that's what the people are talking about when he's supposedly an anti-hero. But most of what he does is for queen and country, if you will. Yeah, I don't really, I don't, I don't buy that one. Yeah, but that's that's one to address anyway. It's, it's, I think to me, he's just an unconventional hero in the fact that he's—I mean, he always he's gets able the to girl. Kill. Yeah, he's able to kill. Yeah, but he's—but the fact that he has a license is authorized by the king right. himself, right? Uh, or the you know queen if it's a year later, but uh, right. So he's just doing what he's doing, man. He's just working right. for the for the man, you know, right? Fredo, you're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. And then we go all the way up to 1969. This one's mentioned a lot, too, Michael Corleone. I can see this one a little bit more. Yeah. Because you're rooting for someone who's in a crime family, which will go on to become a really big thing. I mean, gangster pictures are huge anyway yeah. in the 30s and yeah. 20s and all the way up. Yeah. This one, though, in literature really stands out as a landmark. And it does. It goes on to change realism as far as mob movies go right. from here on out. And mob fiction goes yes. from here on out because yeah. it, it really evokes a lot of people's uh, interest in what I think, is the mafia. I think mob nonfiction, too. Yeah. Because no, I feel totally. like a lot of those guys, you know, especially through the 80s and 90s, those mobsters, those John Gotti type guys, really 
idolized that movie yeah and, and modeled themselves after it well here's the thing too and and if you watch any of the makings of uh the godfather and stuff like that when francis ford coppola is talking about doing the work from writing the script and yeah. talking to mario puzo and all of this stuff he's saying what i wanted to do was get as real as i possibly could about it so i'd go out to the library and look up mob books and stuff and he's like and there were a few but not a lot about what goes on in a mob. He's like, after The Godfather, it opens up this floodgate of people's interest in, in, in it, which the mob at the time knew, which is why they didn't really want that movie made. Right, right. Yeah, you they know? were still on the, the DL at that point. Right. Yeah. So Michael Corleone in that would is all, often named as the anti-hero, and I think because you're kind of on his side, even though he's doing some pretty not-so-great things, but you're on the family side. Right. Nineteen and seventy-six, we'll say the year of the bicentennial. I remember it fondly. Mm. America is two hundred years old, and uh, someone who's even older mm. is Lestat the Lion Court yeah. from Anne Rice's novels, uh, The Vampire Chronicles. The first one being Interview with a Vampire, right? But um. That dude's a badass, and, and yeah. that's that's the guy who is just—he's on the other end. He's is a bad guy that you just are rooting for, right? In my opinion, and then but then at least in the Interview with the Vampire, and then as the book shifts to his story, the next book, which is uh, the Vampire Lestat, the Vampire Lestat—that's what it's called—and yeah. and um, you're on his side then, right? You're, you know, you're you're seeing kind of his origins and his story and all that stuff, and then he's less the antagonist through the whole thing, right? And uh, more, you're you're. It makes you revisit how you saw him in Interview with a Vampire, right? Well, yeah. and also in Interview with a Vampire, talking about the book here, he's often everything is being done out of what he wants. You know, yeah. his, what he wants. So, but he also is saying to Louis, look where you are. Are you happy now with where you are? You may be a little sad, but I've dragged you through this thing, kicking and screaming. And <laughs> right, now right. You, you end up being in a place where you like and everything. And yeah. so, you know, he is in a way kind of helping, yes, even though yes. that's benefiting him too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, he just does it in a very snooty kind of right. French, French way. Right. Right. So <laughs> yeah. it ends up being really hard not to. To kind of yeah. like him, which I think is probably the the popularity of his character in that book was what right. spawned. Hey, we want to know more about this guy, which ends up becoming that next book you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slowly, the set became something like himself again. And then, okay, this this one is an interesting one too because he's pretty dark as well. In right. uh, 1981, Tom Harris writes the book Red Dragon about when, of course, that enter Doctor Hannibal Lecter, right? Right. Yeah. And so, not so much in Red Dragon. They're, they they do go to him for help in the book, and he is, but he also has his own agenda and trying to get this killer to maybe get revenge on the guy William Graham who got him and all of that stuff. It's not yeah. until you get to the next book, Silence of the Lambs, where you see that yeah. character again talking literature here, where you see him doing bad things, but he's also doing things to benefit someone that, in his own weird, creepy, psych psycho way. Yeah. He he likes Clarice and he wants her to win. Right. Yeah, he doesn't want any harm to come to her. Yeah. 
So then uh, you you jump from eighty one all the way up to ninety six, and you get a. I think for years in my era, you yes. get a true fictional uh, or literature uh, hero character, anti hero character, which is Tyler Durden. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the best. Yeah, from uh, Fight Club in, by Chuck Palahniuk. Right. Um, so this particular adaptation is very true to the book. It's uh, one of the more direct right. uh, adaptations of a book that has ever made it to film. Right. He's still just as cool. Mm-hmm. His coolness hasn't wore off at all. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of it's, a timeless yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Just like the coolness right. of like even a Lestat kind of character. Yeah. Is no matter right. what era you read that character, you're still going to be like, this guy was cool. I don't care what century he's living in. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. And Tyler Durden is definitely that. But we have a whole episode of that yeah. coming up, Rule so we won't up, get yeah. too, too, too much into that. Right. Uh, George R. R. Martin does Game of Thrones in 1996. I mean, yeah, 1996, and so Tyrion Lannister would be a good example of an antihero in that because right. he plays both sides in that whole thing. For sure, yeah, and he's he's definitely you can you can see a change in the character to where he's doing things not only to benefit himself, but you know, in early stages, he's definitely all about him. Well, um, and he's been. Right. shit on his whole life right. for being uh, deformed and ugly and right. in the books you know he's a lot he's you know right peter dinklage makes plays the character in the tv series and of course peter dinklage is actually a good-looking man and right. all that stuff so he it's not quite as true to the book where in the book he's like hideous to look at that scar that he gets on the tv show is actually a lot more egregious in right. the novels and all that stuff so it makes him more unattractive and all that stuff and then it also kind of makes the the whole thing about him uh, with that sex worker that he's with girlfriend of his mm-hmm. uh, more complicated right because you know? people are in, in, uh, in the novel casting aspersions right to the way he looks and wondering how yeah anyone could right. be with him right So, yeah, those those are definitely just literature, uh, literary characters that represent, from some opinions, ours, we're kind of straddled back and forth on a few of those, but uh, yeah. they are often mentioned in uh, anti-hero scenarios. So. Conversations. Right. Yeah. So, and then, you know, just to give a few different opinions of ones we don't agree with in movie form. Yeah. These are often named, just to throw out a quick list is you have Dread is often mentioned, which I don't get at all, because that yeah. character in comic form and in the badass movie, the most recent movie, not the, not the, not the Stallone thing. The but the most yeah. recent version of Dread with uh, Carl Urban. Yeah. All he's doing is following the law. That's his whole thing. He is yeah. the law. The law, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. So there's no anti-anything yeah, in that. right, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like in the same way that RoboCop is right. doing what he's doing. Yeah, you don't consider RoboCop when you see that movie as an an, yeah, an, an anti-hero, yeah. right? It's yeah, right. Weird. This programming won't let him do anything else. That's right. But yeah, then Alex from the Clockwork Orange is often mentioned in this, which I don't get at all on that one. Yeah, because when what is it about him that's redemptive? He's he's basically a a villain yeah through the whole thing through the whole thing maybe he's i guess 
maybe it's because you're following him from beginning to end. Right. And it's his story. But right. It's somehow he's interesting and you... Right. He's not a likable person, but yet... In no way taking away from how interesting the character is in literary right. form and in the movie. I'm talking both. But yeah. you're also following this character. He never really does anything redemptive. He doesn't do anything other than for himself. He's not... You know, even yeah. by accident. <laughs> right, right. Even by the time he's air quotes reformed at the end, he's still being a smart ass and um, right. kind of like just he's almost just like playing the game just to not cause trouble at this point. Yeah, you, know you can I mean? see an edge to it and it yeah. in no way is, in my opinion, an anti heroist. But that again yeah. is coming from my my own skew on what it is. Yeah, right. And then the other one is that's mentioned that's another uh, Kubrick, Kubrick one is Jack Torrance. Yeah, I don't see that at all. He's either. a villain. <laughs> He's a villain. Yeah. yeah. He's, He's even like at least in the movie. I never read the Stephen King book. I think. Well, but we saw we did watch the yeah uh, in the book the miniseries. In the miniseries, he's a little more. Um, you're a little more empathetic with him, right? And you know, like whatever. He and does the, have and a miniseries is, is by Stephen King, so it represents the the novel the more. Book, right? Yeah, but yeah. What this list that I'm talking about right now, specifically, is this is it's the movies, movies okay. that people are okay. are mentioning. Yeah. Well, then no. Yeah. No. Because even in the beginning of the movie, yeah, he's annoyed by his family. <laughs> right. He's like. The kid's a pain in his butt, and uh, his wife is just a, a nag, and right. I don't know. Right. You know, so I, I don't see him. He, he's, the only time he plays agreeable is when he's trying to get the job. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 Come play with us. Okay. And then Scarface? And then Scarface is often. Are we talking Al Pacino specifically? Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. That guy's never, that no. guy's not, never, you know. He's, <laughs> No, he's a villain. The only time he does anything that's halfway decent in that movie is when he won't blow up the car because yeah. there's a kid in it. But that's the only right. reason. That's the only thing. And I don't think <laughs> yeah. one thing he does out of a whole shitty thing that he does in all that whole movie. I'm not saying I don't like that movie. I'm just saying to call him a antihero is very weird to me. Yeah, to me, it's just a villain that you root for. Right. You know? It's kind of like when you see... A go- I've mentioned this before, but when you watch... In Rogue One, Darth Vader slaughter all those rebel guys. Right, right. He's the bad guy, and you're like, "Fuck yeah, dude! Kill those good guys! Fucking kill them like that!" Right. That's that's what this is. So I think people are getting a little off, especially with the next one we're about to talk right. about. Right. Norman Bates. Right. How was he an antihero? I, when? What? When? At what point? I, I mean, if they're going off of the sequels, maybe I can kind of maybe see it. But even then, I've never seen those. Are is he somewhat sympathetic? So you? in yeah, in the in the second one, he definitely he gets out of the mental institution, comes back, and then there are relatives of people he he's murdered that are trying to make him insane again. So he'll go back because they don't want him out on parole. Oh, okay. And okay. so that maybe they're talking about that. But even then, he's never doing anything. Like, right. yeah, you feel more sorry for him than you do anything else. He's right. not doing anything. So it's just a weird. Okay. Okay. 
and then you you move on to the next one too. Gordon Gecko's often mentioned, and I there's nothing really redemptive about that guy. And I'm taking the sequel the, out. The sequel, <laughs> right. the sequel is where he's basically trying because because I think what happened with that character is. He's a hero to the Wall Street guys. All the Wall Street guys that came up after that movie came out could want to be like him. Oh, yeah, totally. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Oliver Stone n- never wrote that guy as... An anti-hero. A hero. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think he was insulted by the way all these Wall Street schmucks embraced that right. character and made him a hero of theirs which is why in the sequel he's very apologetic for the way he was right right, right. yeah so that's that's a villain who people like right Yeah, yeah. That, and that, that's some of those things that happen. And then you even move into this next one, Henry Hill. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. All he's doing is self-preservation. <laughs> yeah, good fellas. <laughs> he right. didn't learn yeah. anything. He didn't, you no. know, not that you have to as an anti-hero, but he doesn't do anything that even helps someone in the film. It's all its all about him. Yeah, and, yeah. and he's super pissed off about being in witness protection and right. not being in the life anymore right. you know he's like there i'm just like a regular guy living my life like a schmuck right right you know uh, boring old schnook and then to the point where the real henry hill just starts speaking out out of witness protection because he can't stand not being recognized not getting it right being recognized the attention and all that stuff he's on howard stern all the time before he passes away yeah right. so yeah and, they, and in this last one, I think the wrong character is mentioned because there's two other characters that I think work better, and that's in Pulp Fiction. Vince Vega is often mentioned. This fucked up bitch is Marcellus Wallace's wife. Do you know who Marcellus Wallace is? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. If she croaks on me, I'm a fucking grease spot. Jules and Butch are more anti-heroes than Vince is. This is a tasty burger. And right, I love Vince and Vega. Yeah, Vince and Vega, yeah, he, he stays the path. Right. Right, and and Jules, you know, you know, that's his whole journey is right. that he feels like god stopped the bullets right. and uh <laughs> you know changes his life course and he helps pumpkin and honey bunny at the end and gives right. them a, lets them go and gives them a second chance even though they'll probably right end up dead dead in the next shootout anyway right yeah and vince in that scene is rooting to shoot them yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so no there's no anti-hero there it's just another villain that's so cool you're right. rooting for him and then butch yeah. of course you, i could look at him because instead of letting marcellus die he yeah. goes back and saves him saves something that him. doesn't exactly. really benefit that's, him but that's he, the, right. yeah I specifically reminded her bedside table on the kangaroo but he killed the guy and stole right marcellus's money making him not a, a straight and narrow right kid. yeah nobody's a good guy in that Right. That movie. Right. All right. So yeah, antiheroes in film then, and and those are those are just that's just a weird list. Yeah, and those are just ones that jumped out the most. It's a gigantic list with a lot of ones that I also don't agree with, but you yeah. know those are the ones that stood out as most glaring. Yeah. If you had to think of like the. The first anti-hero you remember seeing in a movie, what, who would it be? I, I'm, I'm kind of back and forth on this, but I'm pretty sure that I would I'd probably have to say Indiana Jones. 
Okay. Yeah, I I definitely say Indiana Jones. Not that he's a perfect shining example of what I would consider an anti-hero. Yeah. But he does kill quite often. Yeah. (laughs) And it's usually in a scenario where it's coming down to him or the other person. And I think one of the perfect examples in Raiders is of him as an anti-hero is he has that guy with the whole sword thing and he just pulls his gun and shoots him instead of having to fight him or deal with him. You know, he just... Well, there's there's that and then there's (laughs) the aspect that he's not super brave. Mm. You know what I mean? He's like um, often looks at certain situations and goes, ah, shit. You know, here right. I'm kind of, you know, he deals with it more on a human level of a regular right. dude rather than, say, Superman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, I right. can do no wrong and I will do right. no wrong. You know, he's Well, he even like, has that line in, yeah. in Raiders where he's just like, you know, she's like, what do we do next? I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's what's um, yeah, intriguing about him. So, yeah, what was the year was that? 81? 81, yep. Okay. So I'm a little older than you, and I actually saw Star Wars in the, in the drive-in theater in 1977. So I was four years old, and I think Han Solo, you know, going to, from, from one... Uh, Iconic Harrison Ford Ford character to the next. Uh, Han Solo to me is probably the one that stands out in my head as uh, a real anti Either that or Herbie the Love Bug. (laughs) Both equal in my book. (laughs) 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 So, but you know, uh, Han Solo would be, I think, a a perfect example, kind of like Indiana Jones, where he's uh, anti hero light. You know what I mean, right? Uh, um, he's, uh, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's just out for his own thing, as we all right. know. And then, you know, does the, he disappoints Luke at the end by saying, "I'm just taking my money and getting out of here." But then, right, he you know comes in and saves his ass at the last minute, and you know that's the antihero part, right? Right, right. He didn't want to do it. Mm, right. Yeah. Well, so, I th- and I think- also he was looking at that pretty little princess. <laughs> yeah, thinking, right, maybe right. Maybe I could get something out of this. Right, right. So, yeah, you got that. You got the whole, of course, in the original version, him shooting Greedo without right. Greedo taking a shot. And that That's also is yep. a very anti-hero thing to do in, in, in our version of what an anti-hero is. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah. I mean, besides Sam Spade and some of those early gangster films, right? You know, you still the, the majority of Hollywood for mm-hmm. its its first couple of decades, talkies anyway. Um, it's pretty black and white. You know what I right. mean? You have you have the you know like especially in westerns of the time, you have your good guy in literally all white, <laughs> and the bad guy cowboy in black. You know what I mean? And westerns were such a huge the equivalent of comic book movies today. Westerns yes, was that yes. back in the day, right? Right, and they pretty much dominated the landscape. And um, and of course, who is the number one you know western hero of that time is John Wayne. Get on off them horses! I don't favor looking up to the likes of you. He had his code and right. his his way of how he thought things should be, so that when Clint Eastwood makes his big splash as the man with no name in the mid '60s right. in the Dollars trilogy, right. in my opinion, he's 
at the very cusp of changing the landscape of what a hero in film is altogether. Right. The way I figure, there's really not too much future with a sawed-off front like you. Because he's like the quintessential anti-hero. Right. The man with no name. He's completely out for himself. You never know what side he's on. And he kind of jumps sides, like on the first one, where he's pitting the two uh, rival gangs against each other. He's jumping sides through the whole thing just to, right. just for fun. Right. Fistful of dollars, yeah. Fistful of dollars, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't care if he has to kill someone to do it. He can set other people up so they'll kill each other. And that just does right. his handiwork for him just to get ahead of the game. The only time he really does anything out of not, not for himself was to help that woman that's being held yeah. by, by the main bad guys at the end. Right, She's right. being held against her will. He gets the, her able to be free go with her husband and her, her child and everything right, right. and that's the only really selfless thing he does right. everything else is completely selfish <laughs> yeah 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 it's all about his greed right well before we get into how cool that character is there the big hollywood backstory behind all this was that going back to john wayne after the trilogy's been successful and all that stuff i guess he kind of confronted clint and basically told him he's ruined the whole thing kind of I'm paraphrasing, of course, but this guy you've created in the Western here, he has no moral high ground and, you know, cowboy movies shouldn't be that way, you know, and and, and for me personally, it just cements the idea why I can't stand John Wayne (laughs) (laughs) and everything he stands for. But uh, Well, it also does that thing where what you were talking about before those movies really come along and the the dollar trilogy by by uh, Sergio Leone and, and Eastwood they come out they cement this kind of character that's not black or white he's totally gray yes yes <laughs> right. and, and he'll go with whatever makes his job easier it doesn't matter and he doesn't care who he has to kill or backstab or to get to the end goal that's all he he cares about yeah and it's funny it takes a foreign movie yeah, set in the old west of America, right? That really seems to kind of shake the whole philosophy of uh, good and bad and hero right. and what's all that. Because from that point on, yeah, Clint Eastwood is so fucking cool in those movies that yeah. everybody kind of starts writing to that angle, right? You know, and and movies start going dark. It's also a representation of the culture at that time in the mid '60s in America is very tumultuous, and things are starting to fall apart. Totally, because those movies are '64, '65, '66 for the American releases. Yeah, and uh, that's you know that's when all the civil rights stuff happens, and Vietnam starts getting thicker, and then there's protesting and and the assassination of Kennedy from Dallas, Texas. The Flash, apparently official. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. The assassination of his brother, the assassination of Martin Luther King. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Malcolm X, all these people are getting murdered. Right. And society's like, you know what, fuck this black and white movie shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Who's th- good? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, there's nobody that's good. We're not right. good. It's kind right. of the first time when the whole... Um, traditional American of those John Wayne types are being mm-hmm. questioned by society and the hippie culture. Right. Are basically saying, you guys think you have it so straight, but you look at how fucked up everything is. Right. And it works its way into our pop culture. And the totally. man with no name is on the top of that. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. Right. And the man with no name... Th- 
it causes such a big thing. It ripples not just within a few years, but throughout the industry. Yeah. On and on and on and affects. Like there are still things being made today that are just like you know we need to how we can make this character cool is to yeah. make him like Clint Eastwood in those Dollar <laughs> right. trilogies. You know, they're still looking back to that thing. But I mean, just a few years later, off of those movies, even westerns that are made in Hollywood start changing, like Wild Bunch and Butch Cassidy right. in '69, where. They're not good guys, and right. they're doing pretty heinous stuff, right. but they're still likable. You're with them. You're rooting for them. Yep. And that's just in 69. That's just, just a few years off of when they came out. Right. I think it even Eastwood himself saw the genius within that character mm-hmm. of the man with no name from you know Leone and all that, that he came back to America and started working on his own films, his own westerns and his own cop films, and he pretty much makes every one of his characters. He becomes the anti-hero guy. Certainly, yeah. Through uh, the Dirty Harry movies right, and yeah. Hang 'em High, right? All, all of those, like Outlaw Josie Wells and all uh, of those. And, and, and other movies like that. And then the, the Dirty Harry movies hit so hard that there's, they end up going all the way into the 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, go ahead. Make my day. Becomes famous, you know, catchphrase. Totally, yeah. And that character becomes iconic. And the interesting thing is, is Dirty Harry comes out in 71. Mm-hmm. That's the same damn year French Connection comes out. Both right, of those movies right. make a huge kind of connection with okay, cops are, can be really super corrupt, but still do some good things, yeah. and still be like, can you be on their side? And Dirty Harry takes one stance of being that anti against establishment. I'm not going to follow your rules because bad guys get away with shit, and we can't do anything if we hide behind these laws, kind of thing. So I'm going to go against it. So then, what happens with Dirty Harry as the years go on, and each movie happens, he has to start pulling back on that and going the opposite way. Right. Because other movies are coming out and doing extreme stuff, so he has to do the balancing act with it. The Death Wish movies, too, because mm-hmm. Charles Bronson being this vigilante. Right. And so you, you have Eastwood, who sees the explosive potential in this anti-hero character and really implements him in many of the characters that he would do throughout the rest of his career. Up to, like, even Unforgiven is basically his kind of swan song to that Western character. character. And then right. the Gran Torino is kind of like, overall, like no this is it this is really it right <laughs> you know uh, uh, of my entire career of right. that anti-hero guy kind of going out in a blaze of glory kind of thing oh completely yeah the unforgiven is without a doubt in my opinion his swan song his last opus to his uh western characters it's a hell of a thing killing a man you take away all he's got and all he's ever gonna yeah. And what unfortunately ends up happening with characters like Dirty Harry is that as the sequels go on, yeah. there's other spin-offs of that character. So you get John McClane and Die Hard and Martin Riggs and Lethal Weapon and right. all of these other characters start coming in, Charles Bronson even in the Death Wish films. And as those movies take off in their own little anti-hero, those sequels go on and it starts to become a rinse and repeat. Right. And it just starts dumbing down the original idea, which is unfortunately it's, it's like the, hollywood at this point is basically the black pit of heroin addiction where <laughs> you have you're, you're you're trying to chase the dragon of that very original high of say the man with no name or dirty harry right and just keep going after it and going after it. and each time it, you make a sequel or another one and another one that gets more watered out it's not as well thought out and right and then you, you know you're 
you're you're stealing money from your mother's purse and <laughs> right right hollywood is hollywood right. is stealing money from its mother's purse right and everybody hates you taking and... the good silverware from the <laughs> yeah. china cabinet yeah exactly that's you hollywood look yeah. at yourself this is an intervention <laughs> <laughs> sit down we want to talk to you <laughs> hold this trust pillow um <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, should an anti-hero have an arc? That that's my question. I think it really de- it depends on the character. Yeah, because as we were just talking about the Clint Eastwood character and the man with no name, he doesn't have one, and that was something that even Eastwood was fighting against. He's like, the less we know about this guy, right. the better. Right. When you're trying to explain, yeah, that's what builds the mystique around the character. Yeah. Right. Uh, is you don't really know much about his backstory and all that stuff, and you never do. And that's right. that's what kind of adds that air of cool. Right. Even that. when they go and they do Good to Bad and Ugly, which is a prequel to the other two movies, yeah. you find out about how he gets certain items, but you right. don't find any more out about him. Yeah, you, you know nothing about him. Yeah. Right. It depends on the character study, right? You know? Uh, um, yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you. It definitely can straddle a line per character. I think we don't want to know any more about the man with no name. Right. But then we get into other characters. We're just like, well, wh- wh- how did they get here? Why are they doing what they're doing? You know, a little bit more meat on the bones kind of helps. So that's a, one of those weird questions about antiheroes, which I think is the reason I asked that is because I think that's why people's ideas of what an antihero is splinters off into so many different things. Yeah. Because of that. I don't know if that's an answerable question in that way, because I think it just depends on the, uh, how what story is being told and how right. deep it is. And, and what are you trying to get out of the character? You know what I mean? Right. Right. I don't deserve this. To do it like this. I was building a house. Deserves got nothing to do with it. Well, what about this then? Can an antihero kill and not be considered a bad guy? Yeah, for sure. I think most of the ones that you and I root for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, do that. Yes, I, there. I'm sure there are some out there that don't do that and can still be considered. But I think that, in my opinion, of uh, antihero is that an antihero doesn't have rules good or bad he doesn't look at all death is to an anti-hero is a means to get to the next thing Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter who that death belongs to (laughs) as long as it doesn't belong to himself right exactly (laughs) yeah 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 i have to agree you haven't met anybody you didn't kill well i haven't killed you yet well let's talk let's get let's go back into some more um Examples? Examples, yeah. So uh, around the same time periods, uh, we have Matt Max in the late mm-hmm. 70s, early 80s, and also King Cool Snake Plissken from oh, Escape man. from New York. Yeah, right. Both highly influenced off of the man with no name. This is what I'm talking about. Right, yeah. We're in 79 for Mad Max and 81 for Snake Plissken. And yeah. and you go as far in Snake with Snake Plissken in Escape from New York, right. where... Kurt Russell is making the choice to, I want to give this character a very Clint Eastwood sound. Right, yeah. We're still at war, Pliskin. We need him alive. I don't give a fuck about your war. Or your president. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think Max is this... Max is 
the story of Mad Max in the original movie is an arc, you know, obviously, yeah. because he's a he starts off the movie as a hardworking, honest cop, and then right. by the end of it, the arc is, you know, his family's murdered, and right. he's mad. <laughs> he's right. gone mad. So then by the time you get to the Road Warrior, he's full-on badass right. anti-hero. We had a deal. I show you the gas, and you let me go, right? The arrangement was I wouldn't kill you. After all I've done for you... I don't give a fuck about anybody in this world except myself. Right. And how much are you going to pay me? And the way that you and I came into the the character to where we embrace him as an anti-hero, I think, would definitely be that second movie, not the first movie. Because the first yeah. movie is basically Death Wish. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, with cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and motorcycles, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Whereas you have Snake Plissken, and then this is another character that you hear things... Things are dropped in the movie about his background. Right. Oh, he did this robbery, or he escaped from this thing. Speaking of the man with no name, most, mostly from Lee Van Cleef. Right. Who was a part of the Dollars trilogy, dropping this information on who this guy is. And like, and so, he, you know, Snake Plissken, he adopts this very macho attitude, and he doesn't care about establishment or law or rule or anything like that because he's yeah. been through some things. But we don't quite know what made him like it apparently there was more shot but it was cut out because john carpenter said eh, you know what we're we're tipping the hat a little too much right right we're, yeah we want to keep, keep it mystery it's all right. about mystery yeah right and so you have that character who's a badass character the movie was a big hit and everything and that character becomes like this icon character right even to this day i think that he's on t-shirts and people wear it and don't really know who that character is they just like <laughs> to look with the eye patch and stuff right, like that right yeah they think yeah. oh look it's captain ron on it right <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And so, you know, and, and I mean, even as much as everyone hates that second one, the Escape from yeah, LA Escape movie, from LA. Yeah. it has the most badass anti hero ending. Yeah. That even trumps the first one for me because it's so cool. Right, right. So it's just a, a character that, even a, no matter how much he gets camped out in the second one, I still have a lot of fun with that character and I love that character. Shut down the third world. They lose, you win. Shut down America. You lose, they win. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So there's another one we have to mention from a similar time period uh, in Empire Strikes Back, which is Boba Fett. And Boba Fett is also massively influenced he's so influenced mm -hmm. by the man with no name that he's actually designed after that character right and i show that in one of the instagram posts on our page here but i can show it again but basically george lucas basically said for this guy i want him to be like a gunslinger i want him to look like clint eastwood he's no good to me dead in right. the good the bad the ugly and <laughs> and and so like the horizontal line of his uh view of his helmet is supposed to be the big sombrero-y hat that clint eastwood wears in those movies and right. uh, it kind of represents that plane of the angle as his head moves he also has that half cape that's thrown to the side because right. of the backpack, which looks like poncho. The, the poncho that he throws off to one shoulder <laughs> right. when he's gunslinging. Right. You know? Yeah, so we're talking about old 
tiny Boba Fett from when you right. and I were, were kids. You know, right. Nothing was known about this guy. Right. Nothing. He just randomly shows up. And I think a lot of what people talk about when they say, who the fuck is this Boba Fett guy? And why is he right. so cool looking? Right. It's that scene where all the bounty hunters are lined up on the Star Destroyer there. And Darth Vader's basically... Darth Vader, who's king of the badasses himself, right. is walking back and forth and saying... There will be a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. You are free to use any methods necessary, but I want them alive. But he turns directly to Boba Fett. He says, no disintegration. <laughs> and he's like, as you wish, you know, like right. basically like they've had they've had a past before, you know, right. they know each other. And he knows this guy has a bad habit of destroying the prize. Right. Right. And that's all you get out of that guy until later yep. when King Badass himself confronts our heroes, anti-hero right. number one, uh, Han Solo and all that shit. Who sits right next next to his side? Boba Fett comes out of nowhere. Right. Doesn't say a fucking word. He's just standing right next. And and those two together in that scene. Yeah. It's one of the most coolest goddamn things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> as as Darth Vader's reaching out and catching the uh, the laser beams in his hands, you know. Right. So what ends up happening is is like after the movies are over and of course he gets the chump death in Return of the Jedi because George Lucas right. isn't aware of the fervor that's growing amongst Star Wars fans about this guy and he, right. he wastes him by ac accident in Return of the Jedi but so much so that all of this fucking all of this stuff that becomes the Mandalorian TV series later on is generated through all this fan culture and fan fiction that's written and novels and all this shit that they're basically trying to explain this unexplainable character. So yeah, the character, some of the characters we just talked about, kind of straddle that line of what I was saying about do they need an arc or they don't? Because Mad Max definitely has an arc. Mm -hmm. Snake Plissken, we don't really need to know anything about him, along with Boba Fett. Right, uh, Boba Fett and the man with no name. All three of them hey. who are modeled after each. You know, the two are basically a representation of the one. And right. Yeah, the mystique is what makes the character. Right. And what's funny even is like even ripoffs of the characters we just talked about. Like take Mad Max. Yeah. You get in 95 Kevin Costner in Waterworld, which yeah. is basically Mad Max on the water. Right, right. And his character is the less we know about him, the better. And it yeah. makes it a cool. I, I, for one, like that movie. And yeah. his character is cool in that because he doesn't say a lot. You don't know a lot about what's going on with him. Now a word from us. Ooh, my favorite people. So let's say you want to reach out to us, ask us some questions, or make comments that are not negative and mean. No, no, we're very sensitive. Or if you want to participate in some of the questions we ask each other on the show, answer them so we can see your answers. Right. Boy, am I right. If we, if you're going to try and look for us on Instagram or Facebook, it is TFTFP Podcast. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, it's Podcast. TFTFP. Right. Yeah, and we also have... Yes, yes. ...a shiny, mm -hmm. spick-and-span little email address Ooh. that goes by the name of tftfppodcast at gmail.com. Mm, rolls right off the tongue, it does. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. also, if you're so inclined and want more of TFTFP, head over to our Patreon page, the link should be in the description wherever you downloaded this podcast. Or right. you can just search us on Google. Yeah. And ma make sure you like, subscribe, and review us because that helps us with the algorithm thing. 
that everybody else says and I'm supposed to say. Spoken like a true professional, Tim. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's kind of like when chicks dig the uh, bad boy kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it, it doesn't fall far from the fellas as far as who right. we find interesting Mm-hmm. You know, because they're layered and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, I think when you're a little kid, you know, if I'm, I'm going to keep going back to Star Wars because that's my number one thing. When you're a little kid, you're like, hell yeah, Luke Skywalker is my guy. Right. And then you reach that teenage years or if you're still watching the stuff and you kind of start going, I don't know about Luke. He's a little too squeaky clean and nerdy. And, and that Han Solo is a little cooler than, than right. Luke. He's kind of, you know what I mean? And then... There's that thing that just kind of happens where you're like, and that's who you want to be. You know what I mean? When you're kind of developing your sense of uh, who, what kind of dude you want to be or how, how the chicks see you. Right. There's that bad boy image with a good heart, you know? Right. Kind of thing. Exactly. That probably, you don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. You don't know me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's probably part of it anyway. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, apparently they're fun characters to play anyway. Yeah, Because right. uh, many of the actors who play these characters we've talked about, usually in interviews, end up saying, oh, that was the most fun I had playing a character because, you know, in the gray area. Yeah, right. You just shot an unarmed man. He should have armed himself. We're going to list off a few more of these guys uh, and girls. And uh, uh, I think the first one, for a guy who comes out of nowhere from Look Who's Talking and gets Pulp Fiction <laughs> and, and gets Vincent Vega and then follows that up with Chili Palmer from Get Shorty. Oh, man. Talk about a strikeout to two home runs out grand the park. Grand slams. Yeah, grand yeah. slams. That Chili Palmer is... And at least in the first movie, anyway, uh, right. is one of the coolest fucking characters there is. Yeah, you know? he's he's so cool, and he's another one where you hear a little bit about his background, but you don't know exactly how he became a Shylock right, right. and what's going on. You just know he likes movies, he wants to get out of it, but he's a tough enough guy that people kind of listen to him. He has enough. He's so matter of fact about everything. Yeah, that it's, whether it's it's talking about you know strangling and killing a guy and move, but then there's that scene and. <laughs> Whatever, and and the way he captures the set, you know, right, right, yeah. It's, it, there's He's, no f- inflection in that, and, and that kind of adds right. to this air of like badass coolery. It's like listening to you or me talk about Star Wars or Batman with the same fervor as if we're talking about we killed someone yeah. just last night. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. And so, yeah, I love that character. I love that movie. The movie's great. So many great things in that movie with a great cast and everything. Yeah, so yeah. that he and he's definitely fits into my archetype. Of what a anti-hero is. Yeah, he fits all of those parameters, yeah. you know, because he he is helpful to certain people. He does favors and stuff, yeah. but it all builds to something that he needs done yeah, by the right. end of the he's movie. He's trying to get out of the biz, right? Right. Yeah. And he's playing people against each other to get out of the right. biz, as well as killing and maiming people <laughs> to you know, right. to do the biz, you know? Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great movie, man. Are you scared up there? You biz. You don't act like it. Well, I'm scared then, not now. How long do you want me to be scared? And then, okay, the bride in uh, Kill Bill's Volume 1 and 2, which is uh, Uma Thurman. Yep. I've kept you alive for two reasons. First reason is information. But I am going to ask you questions. And every time you don't give me answers... I'm going to cut something off. And I promise you, 
They will be things you will miss. Going back to Quentin, right? He's given us a, an anti-hero that again is straight out of. This is his kind of little homage before he actually does westerns. Yeah. This is his way to make a western. Yeah. Using the music of you know Inyo Morcone and everything, right. honoring some of the Sergio Leone photography, right. And making her not even us knowing her name, we know her as the bride, right. Not Beatrice Kiddo right. all the way up till the second movie right. near the end. Right. Right. So she's the woman with no name, basically. <laughs> yeah, until yeah, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. She doesn't really have a moral code of what she won't do or or this. She just has a goal. Yeah. I need to get my kid, and I don't care who, how many people I got to kill. Obviously, right, right. <laughs> that I'm going to get to this goal, yeah. and what I have to do. And she's along the same beats that you'll see the man with no name going through. Right. Gets beat half to death, yep. nearly killed, right. still comes back, right. wins the day. So that's another really, again, fits perfectly into my little archetype of uh, anti-hero. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, let's go way back to 1971 and... uh, Another private eye. Another private eye who's got a big, long... Shut your mouth. I'm just talking about Shaft. (laughs) I can dig it. (laughs) All right, yeah. Now they can find you dead or alive. Now what's your goddamn story? So he's kind of like, uh, for black exploitation, he's kind of like a Dirty Harry type character where he's... A Except he's a private eye, and this is a spanning off of that Sam Spade character. So all those many, Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, right. And definitely doesn't stick to the letter of the law at all to do what he's got to no. do. Yeah. While making sweet yeah. love to the ladies. <laughs> just like James Bond. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So that's Richard Roundtree playing Shaft. And he becomes, like, they do, like, three or four of these movies, Shaft in Africa and, you know, all of this stuff. And and that first one, because it's that black exploitation and that, uh, at the same time, exploitation films are are, are out. So it's heavy on the violence, heavy on the killing, heavy on the nudity. And so then they're doing the same thing with women at the time. So black exploitation also brings in Pam Greer as, as Foxy Brown, and they also bring her in as Coffee. Right, right. Death is too easy for you, bitch. I want you to suffer. In the daytime, she's a... I think she's a waitress in the daytime <laughs> in coffee, and then at night, she's an avenging angel. Right. <laughs> Straddling lines of good and bad. Right. And what's what's great about that, too, is if you look at coffee as any kind of earmark, not only just for uh, African-Americans mm-hmm. and African-American women, mm-hmm. but it's also just for women. Right. Right. Because there's not a hero woman like this that's white in the, this time in cinema until you you move all the way up into aliens. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> 1979. Yeah, I mean, other than like Linda Carter, yeah. Linda or, Carter, Or the yeah. bionic woman. Right. So maybe TV's doing a little better than the uh, than the movies are. Right. Yeah. Coffee would definitely fit into that realm of anti-hero because yeah. she doesn't care who she's, she's killing the bad guys. Right. All these pimps out there that try and take advantage of the women. Yep. Yeah, good point. On my challenge, by the ancient laws of combat, we are met at this chosen ground to settle for good and all. Who holds sway over the five points? All right, let's jump way ahead to uh, another Scorsese character who gets... He gets mentioned a lot. Yeah, gets mentioned a lot on these lists, and that's Bill the Butcher from uh, Gangs of New York, by, played by... The Great. The Greatest... Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, he gets mentioned a lot. 
And when I first read it, I was like, eh, this is probably going to fall into that one list that I said. Right. But the more I thought about it, yeah. the more you can really think because... Yeah, you had to convince me on this because I wasn't... I, w- I was like, no, he's a villain. I had to convince myself <laughs> because when you watch that movie, he's the villain of, of the that movie. movie. Right. But it, any anti-hero can easily be portrayed as a villain of a movie just by not being on his side. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah. But a villain also doesn't think he's doing wrong either. You right. Know, you know what I no, mean? Like, totally. like we talked about with Thanos and all that stuff. Right. Uh, he, he doesn't. He thinks he's doing the right thing. You know. And, right. And he's but he's still a villain. Right. So yeah, it's it's definitely on that cusp. Yeah. Yeah, cusp and a villain antihero kind of thing. I, I guess he's an, in the movie. I don't really see him as an antihero because, like you said, he's the antagonist. Yeah, he's doing everything for his own benefit but here's the thing is unlike a lot of villains in movies that will just did are just straight villains he does have care for someone to bring him into his family like a mob right, situation right. but he also shows respect yeah and he has a he does have a code right right yeah and a lot of villains they don't have that in necessarily in movies when you're and so and and what this is one of the things that convinced me the most is when you think about that movie and no, no matter what feelings he has towards the character that Liam Neeson plays at the beginning of that movie when he kills him they're looting the bodies of everyone that they've killed from the team that comes with yeah, the Irish Liam Neeson gang, right right the dead rabbits but the one thing he says is he's like do not do not touch his body yeah Leave him alone. Respect him, and he even keeps a picture of him up right. in his in his place. Priest, to, yeah, yeah, to honor him. Right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's he's right on the brim edge of it, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On the uh, the one end, we talked about Han Solo. He's kind of a hero, but barely. Right. He would be on one end of the spectrum. I think Bill the Butcher would have to be on the other end of the spectrum. Right. Ears and noses will be the trophies of the day. But no hand shall touch him. No hand shall touch him. He'll cross over home. Uh, as we talked earlier about like Kubrick characters that are brought up as anti-heroes that I don't agree with, like Alex from Clockwork Orange and, and Jack Torrance from The Shining, the movie. If any character that you can look at, in my opinion, as an anti-hero in any Kubrick film, that would be Barry Lyndon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's all about himself. Yes. He lies to get what he needs to do. He doesn't really care about what happens to people along the way. You're, kind of, you're rooting for him the whole time. But you're yeah. still rooting for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he does some not so great things. Right. And and you're kind of like proud of him in a way for yeah. getting him, you know, creating this false identity and working his way into this high society out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Right. And, and you're like, fuck yeah, Barry Lyndon, you go. You go, dude. I've spoken to the minister regarding your services and your fortune is made. We shall get you out of the army, appoint you to the police bureau, and in time will allow you to move in a better sphere than that which fortune has hitherto placed you. And so it's one of those things that if 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 you have to pick an anti-hero out of a Kubrick film, right. that would be the one out of all of those other ones. Yeah. That would be the one that stands out the most to me. Right, right. So then, as we said, with arcs and stuff like that, what could ruin an anti-hero? Well, kind of like what we mentioned about earlier with the mystique of 
the man with no name or Boba Fett or something like that is is over explaining them, right? Retroactively, right? Even taking Boba Fett and what that grew into the culture that no one would have even known as the Mandalorian culture, even right? What the rules of that culture is and the, what they follow and all of this stuff, right? It's amazing to see that thing build such a history and a mystique and still be cool as fuck when it's not even Boba Fett we're watching, but we're, you know the main character of Man the Mandalorian and watching him do his thing. He's definitely that same. He's built on the same foundation. Yeah, he definitely has more of a, a, a moral compass, the right. uh, Din Djarin does, than Boba Fett. Boba Fett's still straddling that. Right. I don't know where I feel like today. <laughs> today I'm going to help you. <laughs> right. Tomorrow I might not. And that also, right. I think, builds tension into the character, too, because you're wondering. Yeah, we keep going back to that. But what do you think? Do you agree with the mystique part? Oh, yeah. Tinkering around with the mystique of an anti-hero is dangerous. I think that if if Han Solo using that is on the opposite end of the spectrum, like I say, his foot's half off of the cliff yeah. of maybe just being a straight-up hero. As those movies go on, yeah. anti-hero's completely pulled out of him. Yeah, by Return of the Jedi, he's... Yeah, he's, like he's a, pussified. Yeah, right, right, he is. <laughs> yeah, and so... Over-explaining the mystique can definitely kill an anti-hero, I think. Something like that. It, it immediately defeats the kind of character of the perfect, takes him from the gray area, and puts him either in a white or black area. <laughs> right, right. And then another thing I think that you can do to ruin a, an anti-hero is to take him, what we're just saying is too good, too bad. Right. If he does too many good things, right. or he does too many bad things, it's hard to be on the person's side. Right. So it's a weird balance act that you walk on that and sometimes it's weird how they sometimes can go too far one way or too far another but then straddle back into gray and still keep you rooting for that character like the next character we're going to talk about <laughs> yeah right <laughs> the man who changed television as we know it as we mentioned <laughs> earlier and that's Tony Soprano I'm afraid our time is up just give me another minute I have a patient waiting. Yeah, we'll let him wait. Tony Soprano. Yeah. 1999 Sopranos hits and changes the structure of TV shows as we know it. Yeah. You don't have to watch sitcoms or CSI anymore. Right, right. I mean, it's there if you want it, but, uh, yeah. you know, there's at least now we have variety and depth, and we have these television series that are of movie quality as right. far as production and writing and... Right. Uh, language. Uh, and, and language and acting and all that <laughs> right. stuff, yeah. right. And there's real peril. The Sopranos pretty much helps. Is also the one that breaks that you're either a TV actor oh, yeah. or film actor. I mean, right. there's always been people who straddled that. But right. this blows it out of the water. From this point on, people are like running to be in shows like The Sopranos or right. Dexter and stuff like that. These complicated character pieces. Totally. Yeah. And so that takes a character who is <laughs> very morally corrupt. Yes. And but you see these essences of him struggling with good and bad decisions. And sometimes he does something bad to somebody, and you can see how it weighs on his conscience. And then he ends up going back and overdoing it a little bit with good yeah. to kind of compensate. And maybe he's struggling with his soul at the time, or who knows what's going on. But it makes for great drama, yeah. and it also makes him a great representation of that anti-hero because he he does good things right and he also does really horrible things. right right oh yeah <laughs> and it's weird how it, that keeps happening throughout the show and by the end you're still like i still like him <laughs> yeah yeah right well you're catching me at a 
uh, interesting time too. Oh right, yeah, yeah. You're going through the series again, right? Yes. Right, yeah. Awesome, awesome. For, so for me, this is my this will be my third viewing of the series over the 20 years, and and what's what's I'm finding this time around. You know, because you build the, the the character sits in your head and oh, over, yeah. over the time and and becomes something else. And, and so as you rewatch it, I'm realizing I'm laughing a lot through this show. I gotta spill this out for you. I can't declare X amount of my income. Your consulting fees from Barone Sanitation, you do. We file a tax return to justify the house, the cars. We could be putting aside some of that to start a portfolio. Stocks? You gotta be high up in a corporate structure to make that shit work for you. We don't have those Enron-type connections. Right. And, and it's a lot of the fucked up shit he's doing, too. Right. You're, on, you're way the fuck on his side. Yep. Even when he's, like, being, you know, uh, scaring his psychiatrist and all that stuff, you're not, like, shut off to him. You're like, well, you know, maybe, you know, she kind of opened she up a, a situation. <laughs> yeah, you know, she hit a button with him. Right. And it's weird. And you're, you're like, apologizing for this bad behavior for right. in your head. And you shouldn't be. <laughs> nope, because if this was not a show where we're watching someone likable play a character that we like, if it's just a story that someone's telling us of this happened to this person, right. we're going to be like, what a fucking asshole. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's weird how that he can, that character can straddle those lines and still end up in that gray area of where we're just like, he's doing a lot of bad shit. That I think it's in season three sometimes or four where he... Charles Dutton plays a cop, pulls yeah. him over, gives him a ticket. He right. doesn't like it, calls a city councilman, gets, ends up getting him busted down to some lower job in the police force. The guy has to get another job. He sees him at another job, feels bad about it, yeah. then tries to reverse it because he doesn't, you know. Right. Oh, not that it matters. Just so you know. I didn't tell him to do any of that shit. That's very kind of you. It's just crazy to me because he's obviously very racist in the show. Right. He's misogynistic. He's vain. He's gluttonous. He's all of these horrible things that a human being can be. But also, I think what keeps viewers that like the show riveted is that there are those essences of him trying to be a better person. He's struggling with it. Although he reverts back to being a horrible human being, he is struggling to be a better human being. Yeah, exactly. Right. He changed the, the face of television, but he also set up the ability for probably the most popular anti-hero right. since Clint Eastwood right. in Walter White and Breaking Bad, right? It doesn't get any more. I mean, this guy is like this meek, sheepish dude yep. with a lot of brains, who, but by the end of it is running his own... Empire. <laughs> Empire, like a cartel in a way. And, right. and, uh, and doesn't give a shit about life right? as far as anything outside of his, his own self. You don't know that until you know, out of the five seasons. It's not really until season four, I think, that you realize that. There's moments. Yeah. But, you know, because like when, when Jesse's about to go and kill that guy for... The drug dealer. Yeah, and he hits him with the car. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, pulls up out of nowhere, hits these two guys, gets out of the car. One of the guys that he hits is still alive, walks over, grabs one of the guns that one of the guys dropped, picks it up, shoots the guy in the head, then looks at Jesse and says, Run. <laughs> yeah, right. I know, but he's doing that kind of also out of a necessity of the situation. And you're th- right. And at the, in that moment, when you're seeing it for the first time, you're like, well, he had to do it. Right. He had to save his life. Exactly. Right. But then there's, you get to that point where he's telling his wife, You clearly 
don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. All that shit. That's when you're like, okay, okay. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, there's something going on here. Yeah. Right. I think when it really hit me, because I, you know, I love that show. That's one of my favorite shows ever. And yeah. so even during those moments, when he's saying those things to his wife or Jesse when he's being mean to him or just being a straight-up cold bastard to whoever and thinking he's the king shit, you still, I was still on his side because I'm just like, well, look what he had to go through and look at what you see yeah. him as the meek person and people pushing him around. And now I think the moment that really struck me in the series when you see just this complete non-empathy yeah. <laughs> is when he sets up those murders to be all done at the same time in the prison right and he's having his coffee and looking at his watch yeah and, every, and yeah. Then this this nat king cole songs playing in the background <laughs> right, right pick myself up dust myself off and start all over again it's so beautiful that's right. all, that is such a but you see that you, he just gets a call it's done and he's like no emotion doesn't even blink at it yeah yeah i liked it I was good at it. And so to see that, to see him as this anti-hero character and then to straddle way over into the dark side. Yeah. And then by the end has to redirect yep. and fall right back into that gray area where he still he has no empathy about killing the people he kills at the end. Right. But it's for a noble cause. Yeah, yeah. And all, all the reason that he's saying throughout the whole show is, I'm doing this for my family, I'm doing yeah. this for my family, never really hits home and isn't real true until at the end when he admits that he doesn't do it, and then he really is doing it. for That's a beautiful, yeah. that's a beautiful yeah. thing there. Yes, it's about as good as t- television gets, you know what I mean? Yeah, any any. Fiction, yeah, period, fiction, you know? period. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's just what? wonderful, right? Yeah. So let's get into some of the ladies of uh, antihero, antiheroines, as mm. we should say. Uh, yeah. So we have Thelma and Louise. That was a big one. Yeah. 1991, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, right? And they're basically. It's, it's out of necessity. She's being yeah. abused, and yeah. the guy kind of gets what's coming to him kind of in a, in a right. way, you know? It's a very Walter White situation where yes, they're kind of right. meek people at the beginning. Yeah. This thing happens, opens up another side of them, and they embrace it instead right. of run from it. Yeah. Yeah, we think you have really bad manners. <laughs> yeah, where do you get off behaving like that with women you didn't even know? Huh? <laughs> huh? How'd you feel if somebody did that to your mother? Or your sister? Or your wife? What are you talking about? You know good and damn well what I'm talking about. You say you're sorry, or I'm gonna make you fucking sorry. Oh, Jesus. I bet you even called us favors on your CB radio, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. Damn, I hate that. I hate being called a beaver, don't you? You gonna apologize or what? Yeah. And, and we get to meet hunky-ass Tyler Durden himself, <laughs> Brad Pitt, for the, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, and they and they even get a very 
drive into the sunset ending. For yeah, that it's movie. kind of it's the yeah. uh, it's the <laughs> Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid ending, mm-hmm. basically. You know. Right? Yeah, totally. I I remember being a kid and being at my friend's house, and he had an older sister, and she had some of her friends over, and they were watching Thelma and Louise, <laughs> and they were really excited and really getting yeah. into it and loving every minute of it, and even talking about it after it, it was off and after the movie had ended, was talking about it excited. Like, I was excited about watching, like, Man With No Name or Snake Plissken or something, and I thought that was really cool. Right, I think because, yeah, us both being white men, we were, we're, we're no shortage of heroes in our world. And, right. And, and to have this kind of, like, a strong right. anti-hero for a woman, uh, it's got to mean a lot, you know what I mean? Cause oh, yeah. Because that representation just isn't there. Right. Kind of like we talked about with Shaft and all that stuff. Right, totally. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you go all the way up to nineteen uh, or 2009, mm-hmm. and then eventually another remake by our favorite director, David Fincher. Yeah. In 2011, you got Elizabeth Salander. Yeah. And that's in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo from a book. Yeah, right. Once you can sit again, which could be a while, I admit, we're going to go to my bank and tell them that I alone have access to my money. No. <laughs> After that, you will never contact me again. Each month, you will prepare a report of a meeting we will never have. In it, you'll describe how well I'm doing, how sociable I'm becoming. Then, you will negotiate with the court to have my declaration of incompetence lifted. If you fail, this video will spread across the internet like a virus. No. And I think both women do very unique things with the characters. Yeah, I love both of them equally, but in weird ways. Right, I think it's it's uh, Naomi Rapace in yep. the Swedish films, and then Runa Mari, I believe it, her name is, in uh, David Fincher's film. Yeah, both kick ass. I've seen the Swedish one a few times. Yeah, and me too. Um, I really love those movies. And she's so good. And another one that again is doing things in america not now. not yeah. not not just for herself mm-hmm. but the end goal is to get to this thing that will benefit her the best and she has to go through some horrible shit yeah in that movie right yeah and she's already been through horrible shit in the past that is a mystery as the movies uh, the books build and then the 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 swedish movies from right. 09 that have the different sequels yeah. that, that follow that yeah and you find out more about her past, but it's, it's such a great character, and another one that says very little, right? Does a lot. There's a, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, she doesn't really need to say anything, and her look is a lot of says a lot about her. You know, right? I mean? You know, what, yeah. what she's been through, and um, super know. resourceful. Mm-hmm. Such a kick-ass character. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, in regards to anti-heroes in genre, can we put them in anything? Yeah, any genre. I think they can easily fit into anything. They easily fit into comic books. Yeah. They easily fit into... To, you have uh, you have them in westerns, obviously. You have them in, in space operas. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Sci-fi yeah. movies. Yeah. And you have them in horror movies. Yeah. And a big one is Ash. Ash Williams, <laughs> my buddy. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! So, yeah, the, uh, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, Ashley Williams. <laughs> yeah. Evil Dead. Evil Dead, right? 
groovy. The original Evil Dead movie follows a group. It's not a slasher film so much. It's a, like a ghost slasher film in a way. Right. He's the lone survivor, so he's the hero hero of that. Right. But then in Evil Dead 2, which is basically a parody of itself, of Evil right. Dead 1, and, and all of a sudden there's a lot of humor and, and silliness and right. awesomeness added yep. to the character. Totally. That he... This is the beginning of the archetype of Ash as an anti-hero. And, and right. uh, the guy who's like really irritated about the situation he's been put in. Right. Uh, he doesn't want to deal with this stuff. Yeah. If he had a car and the bridge was still intact, he'd get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He just wants to go back to S-Mart. <laughs> yeah. I'll swallow your soul! Come get some. I actually got introduced to Ash through Army of Darkness. I saw Army of Darkness first. Right. And then went back and saw the Evil Dead, not not understanding that Evil Dead was a straight movie. And I'm like, what the hell right. is this? And then <laughs> I guess I'll watch Evil Dead 2. And then seeing it and going, oh, that's right. fucking genius. That it's, it's making fun of itself. It's the whole... Right. right. Uh, and obviously that character has a huge impact on the horror comedy or horror subgenre because he would right. not die and just kept right. going on and on and on and on until very recently yeah. Ash vs. the Evil Dead on Stars Network uh, It's I think it runs for three seasons Yep, and it's fucking amazing and awesome. it's a great show and, and he's even more you know as an older seasoned. seasoned but like also more jaded and even angrier than when he was right. back in the you know the medieval times and all that shit he's uh, more reluctant of a hero what we're getting to is evil dead he's just a reluctant hero Evil yes. Dead 2 is making more fun of him, but making more fun of his bravado as a character. Right. He's, he's, he's becoming a little bit more macho in things, and then still a little bit of a... Cocky. Yeah. And then that builds into him being a full-fledged, by the time you get to Army of Darkness, he's a full-fledged anti-hero. Right, yeah, yes. Doing everything for himself, completely narcissistic, doesn't yeah. listen to the words he's supposed to say. <laughs> yeah, Just wants yeah. to get this done, and let, hey, let's move on, let's get on with this right, stuff. Right, right, yeah. Not afraid to use his modern-day weaponry to show off in front of these, uh, you know, medieval characters and stuff. And <laughs> Yeah. That show just furthers the anti-hero along even more. So when you get to the last episode of the, the last season, it's Ash riding off into some sunset destiny future that yeah, you don't know yeah, anything about. Right, yeah. Yeah, I was a little disappointed in it, but then as it sat with me, I'm like, no, that's it. That's exactly that's what it perfect. needs to be. Because I, yep. I didn't, I wasn't aware that that was going to be the last one right. at the time. So I was like, wait, what? You know? Yeah, right. I, I love that character so much that he's tattooed on me. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? <laughs> right. So He's such a great character and, and definitely fits, especially as you said, as we get to the Army of Darkness and the TV show. Complete. Yeah. Yes. Complete anti-hero. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. And Bruce Campbell himself is just just the shit. I don't even know how to say it. That guy is the coolest motherfucker. He's so great. I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing him live talk about a bunch of things, and he's so great. His energy is so great. Yeah. He's that kind of character. He definitely 
Ash is definitely a big part of his own personality because right. he's very cocky, and yeah. but but in a real humble right yeah. kind of way, making fun of himself actually, yeah, in self-deprecating, a way. right? Right, right, right. Honey, you got real ugly. So, should an anti-hero come out on top all the time to be a good anti-hero story? No, no. I think that right. that's you know like. All right, if I go back to Han Solo, him getting caught in the carbonite and all that stuff, and that adds right. edge to that character. Right. Or if we talk about Ash again, and he's constantly getting beat <laughs> up by the uh, <laughs> by the, the ghouls. Right, and usually by the end of Evil Dead 2 and even Army of Darkness in certain interpretations of that film, he doesn't end up where... He doesn't have a happy ending. Right, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yep. It doesn't really hurt... If they end up in a kind of happy ending for themselves, but it's not a have-to thing. No, no. And I think it, it's part of the journey, too, where it's like in some parts of their story, they're failing, and then they rise above. Right. Just like with a hero, too. But it adds that dimension to it. If they can't always come out on top, no. Like the next guy, the driver in Drive. <laughs> right, right. He doesn't have a happy ending. No, no. But he sure is cool along the way. Yeah. What do you do? A drive. What a dark fucking badass movie that is, too. Oh, totally, yeah. Love that movie. And if you think about it, he doesn't really, right at the beginning, fall into the attributes of what we would consider a anti-hero. But he doesn't have an arc. Right. And he doesn't mind killing people. Right. <laughs> That's not an issue for him at all. I think maybe something that wobbles the line a little bit on the anti-hero is that he his goal at first is to help someone else yeah. and that is his goal to get to the end but then it turns into revenge for the death of a friend mm-hmm. and that motivates his goal to the very end of the story <laughs> right yeah yeah the amount of violence that ensues yeah mm-hmm. right i'm looking for your driver you break in here i figure it's bad news no shannon it's bad luck but yeah i can't say enough great things about drive i love that movie loved it when it came out has an amazing cast albert brooks playing a badass is just so weird but awesome brian cranston is in it and he's great in it and of course ryan gosling is the shit in that film i've loved this guy for a long time and that movie just solidified it yeah that's a complicated but cool movie love it So, this one's complicated, too, because the movie's complicated. Ladies and gentlemen, if I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. Now, you have a great chance here. But bear in mind, you can lose it all if you're not careful. There will be blood. We have Daniel Plainview played again by the greatest actor of all time, Daniel Day-Lewis, right? Right. And, and, uh, man, I think you and I saw this in the theater together, right? We did. Yeah, and I... (laughs) This is up there in my top. Yeah. Favorite movie oh, yes, ever. Yes. Well, the arc of this character is just bananas because yeah, I don't know if he changes that much. Yeah. He strives to change his life. His life changes. His goal stays the same. He yeah, doesn't cool. change. Yeah, right. He doesn't change. Right. Right. The kid's not his, and he doesn't mind taking a kid from the guy who dies. Right. He takes that kid. He makes it his own, but he doesn't take the kid out of any goodness. I think no, because he uses the kid. To bring people in, like this is my boy, and I'm going to, you know. Yeah, right. I'm a family man. 
I run a family business. This is my son and my partner, H.W. Plainview. Create a family dynamic. Right. right. Yeah, and as soon as the kid is deaf, he's not as useful to him. Right. They end up having this very angry, spiteful relationship. And, and he ends up being this bitter, old, angry, drunk motherfucker in his giant fucking mansion. Right. But talk about one of the best goddamn endings of a movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, and, and it is dark, but yep. I fucking loved every minute of it. I don't know. Me too. Just... Me too. I drink your water. I drink it up. Every day. I drink the blood of lamb from Bandage Tracked. And this is another one of those movies, as we've said in other, other episodes, that you get to the end. There's a lot of people just like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, right, I guess. But, I mean, it's still got its accolades and yep. due respect, but... Oh, sure. I don't know how to explain that character, because he's he's pretty unlikable through the whole yeah. thing, you know? But Well, yeah, and he even states in the film, which is one of my favorite lines, is, you know, he's just like... I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I hate most people. There are times when I... I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So he's not in any way you can't latch onto him as a likable character, but for some reason, me anyway, yeah. I was hypnotized by that character from start to finish, hoping that bad things wouldn't happen to him. Yeah. I wanted him to achieve his goal of being the richest guy. Yeah, you know? right. And it it has it says a lot about Daniel Day Lewis and and just yeah. how I don't know the the guy is like this weird wizard of mm-hmm. character creation as far as like it's just this weird mystique that he creates with yep. the way he talks and the way he walks and carries himself yeah. and he's one of those people in movies that even though I love him as an actor I know his face I know him the minute you start watching him in a movie he's so completely different yeah. in every movie that it's thought you, you're not sitting there I'm not anyway watching him saying this is Daniel Day-Lewis playing a part yeah this it's is it's, whatever character you're watching right, right yeah that happens to look like that actor that I like so much. <laughs> yeah, like when you go to like uh, Last of the Mohicans and you compare those two characters to La- like there's right, it's like two stratospheres apart. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the character does meet the dynamics, I think, of an antihero in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Because you're with him along his journey in the film, yeah, and he does all of this hateful shit yeah. along the way to people but you're still kind of like yeah fuck fuck that preacher guy fuck paul dano yeah <laughs> not only fuck paul dano but fuck his the guy who's pretending to be his brother you know <laughs> right and yeah you're like oh man so when he figures that shit out right gets what he deserves kind of thing gets what he deserves and everything yeah you're totally on his side for that yep and definitely you know i'm not a, a spiritual religious person so right there's a, there's a certain thing inside of me about those <laughs> manipulating preacher types, you know? Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, bowling pin in the head <laughs> until there's no more head. <laughs> I drink your fucking milkshake, you son of a bitch. Yeah. That's the, that, the, that character is just such a... Uh, again, he's one of my favorite movies ever. And yeah. He's one of my favorite actors, and so... 
seeing that character come up on many, 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 many lists out there on yeah. the internet. Those and like this being one. Yeah. It's just like, what? At first. And then like, yeah, I guess. I guess I can I guess I can see it. Yeah. I'm finished. So since we've gone through these whole lists and talked about all of these different people. Yeah. Even though he wasn't the first one that we introduced us to the anti-hero. No. Is Eastwood's anti-hero character in The Man With No Name, is he somehow our prototype for what an anti-hero is? I feel like he is because of it's such a... Either it was a, a product of the time or it affected the time or a little bit of both. It Right. Look at the 1970s and, and the bleakness of all of the movies that came out in the 70s. And right. you got to go back to the Dollars Trilogy to where... It made it okay for that shit to happen. Right. And granted, like we were talking about in the beginning, it's a reflection of society, and things do get worse in the 70s with Watergate. Right. And, uh, yeah, corruption runs rampant, and it's just worse and worse. Gas shortages <laughs> and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's an ugly time, and so who wants a... You know, everybody's like... I yeah, don't, I, don't I don't want the man in the white hat to come in and save the yeah. day. For me, definitely, the Eastwood character, because out of all of these characters that we have talked about and many more that are on lists everywhere else i can see tiny bits if not more of the eastwood character in that all the way from like tony soprano like yeah, we talked about right. or or you breaking bad you got walter white you, daniel plainview yeah. all of these people you can see essences of that the ripple effect of the man with no name exactly when you look at the man with no name but you're like i want to hang out with that guy that guy's fucking cool right you know he's probably not going to talk much to me but uh he'll roll me a cigarette you know i want to be that man's (laughs) eli wallace (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's right yeah no so totally definitely from in my perspective of things that character has such a huge rippling effect on that that when i see an anti-hero that i end up liking i can probably deconstruct that character and find some clint eastwood in there yeah yeah exactly and and yeah and like i was saying earlier too when we first started talking about it was isn't it interesting that it took an italian perspective Mm -hmm. on an american archetype yep to change the entire landscape of the american archetype you know what i mean right yeah to, to get us out of that the stinking john wayne horseshit <laughs> everybody you know people of the older generation love right well then all right i think we beat the shit out of the whole anti-hero thing yeah but we talked about a good good and plenty so on on that note uh we're gonna say you know do your best on the comments and all that shenanigans yeah, come over and visit us on our this is and that's yeah. of social media and, and, and if you got a few bucks in your pocket and you're just like i don't need this you can throw them our way because uh, we'll give you a show for it on that note we are gonna end this transmission that's right all right why don't you act like you're hitting the button over there okay starting now <laughs> Bing.